Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Happy belated new moon in Aquarius. What a ride. (laughs) Um, It feels really good to be rocking and rolling in Aquarius energy. Um, I'm so excited for today's episode of the podcast. I have only one teeny announcement, which is that in a few days on the 12th, which is Tuesday, enrollment, um, the official doors are going to open for my upcoming eight-week online tarot immersion, also called Tarot for the Wild Soul. Um, I get a lot of questions sent to me through Ask Lindsay, through, you know, wherever, um, how can I learn to, you know, read tarot? How can I get more intimate with my practice? How can I learn to read in a way that feels, um, safe for me that doesn't rely on fear-based meanings? And if you've been looking for that, this is it. And I feel very comfortable stating that because I was once that person as a young tarot reader and basically created this Um, because there was nothing out there like it. So this is a love letter, this course to anyone who is seeking that. Um, and I'm so excited to serve everyone who feels called to it, um, through the journey of this course. And we're doing it, you know, a little bit, um, differently this year because we're conducting it in this spring. It's usually in the fall. We will not be doing it this fall. Um, I have another little, course that is going to be coming out in the fall that I think people are going to be very excited about. Um, and that's a secret until later, but, um, yeah, Tarot for the Wild Soul is an eight week online tarot journey that, um, explores the art of soul centered tarot reading. It's, um, tarot through the lens of rewilding, healing, growth. It's trauma friendly. It's evolutionary. Um, it's eight portals, eight huge, beautiful, generous weeks of course material classes. We have bonus contributors for each of the eight weeks. We actually have nine bonus contributors this year, um, and have an extra for our final kind of closing ceremony. Um, I'm so excited to announce our nine, um, they're going to blow your mind, whether you do the course or not. Um, all of whom are amazing readers, authors in their own right. Um, it's unbelievably rich video, audio, written content to support every aspect of your tarot journey. Um, there are live Q and A or rather Q and A roundups, which are an amazing, uh, way to kind of avoid the conundrum of not having live Q and A's be, um, out of alignment for anyone's time zone. It's a solution we came up with last year and it's fucking brilliant. And it's a way to kind of get your questions answered by me every week. Um, it's hours of material, not too much, not too little. It's the third time we're doing it. So it's really just the best it's ever been. Um, we've perfected the material, shifted the material every year. There's new content, hours of audio content, a lot more, um, content around trusting our intuition, listening to the medicine of our feelings. There's a lot of good shit in this course and it'll only be offered once a year. Um, there are payment plans, there are sponsorship opportunities. There are so many ways for people of all, um, uh, levels of need to participate in this course. And we're really happy to be able to offer it in the way that we do. That is consistent, doable, affordable, Um, not for everyone, but we try to make it possible for everyone who wants to participate to do so. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting because it's really great. The visuals on the course are incredible. Um, and it's really, again, just a love letter to anyone who is really seeking to expand their practice. And, you know, something that I think is really important to say is that, um, this course is not about learning the meanings through how Lindsay teaches them. It is. Um, But the way that Lindsay teaches them 
some of the meanings are very classical. Some of the meanings are wildly different. And the whole point of the course is to support you in coming up with your own meaning, to respect and honor the fact that you and I may have had completely different lives. The fool might be really different for you than it is for me. And this course allows people to have a safe, supportive, completely unconditionally um, loving container to be able to feel into, well, what does this mean for me? And um, that's part of my, my, the thing I'm most proud of with this course. This is not about like, you graduate and you only know it from one perspective. It's actually the perspective that's taught in the course. And I'll shut the fuck up about it in a minute, <laughs> but I am I'm passionate about it. Um, the perspective that's taught in the course is really undoing the kind of um, thing that we place on people where we think they know more. So we need to go to the letter of everything they say. It's not an, about not respecting lineage, but it is about respecting autonomy. This course is really, um, it's a healing experience. It's really beautiful and it heals me every time I do it. I've made connections with community that I cherish and it's just a great time. So that's five goddamn minutes of talking about that. And again, the doors will open completely for everyone on Tuesday the 12th. We'll drop the trailer. It's going to be dope. And... I'm excited to share it with you. And now without further ado, <laughs> we'll get into the meat of our, uh, of our episode today, which is an Ask Lindsay episode. I need to say this. I, in the last um, time that, <clears throat> like in the last month, um, I have received such important questions and some of them I was not able to answer on this episode. And I want to speak to anyone, if you did not get your question answered and you asked about something very intimate, I promise you, I will answer it on air, even if it's a week or a month or two months from now. Um, there were some beautiful questions that did not get answered. Um, some of the questions I got asked on this round are a little bit more appropriate to have just an email response. They were like logistical questions. And so um, either way, you should have a response to the question that you asked, whether it's kind of privately or um, on air, on air, on the on the episode um, within, you know, the next one to two months. But I just really want to bow to everyone and thank you for trusting me with these questions. It's just really, really powerful. I'm really honored. <clears throat> okay, we're going to dive right in. Ashley asks, the hero font and the emperor, how do you read these two cards in a queer setting that doesn't feed into patriarchal and possibly suffocating archetypes for people such as LGBTQ people who have trouble connecting with them? So Ashley, incredible question. And here's what I would say to that. The hero font and the emperor are energies that have been warped to represent patriarchal, quote-unquote, masculine, um, like, uh, guru-style, leader-style, king, like, all that shit, um, which is really the masculine, if we're going to even use that languaging, that's out of control. It's masculine, um in a way that is really like an invention and um, it doesn't come from truth. So part of the deal, um, I am a queer person um, and part of the deal with all of us, for all of us, uh, even if we do not identify as queer or whatever, um, is to start understanding that these cards existed before those terms came to be um, because the tarot like came from the void. It came from, it was channeled by people. That's why over time it's so hard to trace the tarot. It wasn't, you know, kind of invented. It, there was many, many cultures who um, came into this connection with cards, with fortune telling with divination with all sorts of kinds of divination and really every culture has their own very unique experience with 
something that is part of the giant tree of life root system of tarot. So anyway, long story short to say, um, the Hierophant and the Emperor belong to you, Ashley. Fuck what anyone else says. And that is my biggest piece of advice. If any tarot card excludes you, Ashley, anyone listening to this, if you feel excluded by a tarot card, that interpreter did not do a good enough job. That is the limitation of the interpreter, the author, the collective experience, the assumptions that people make. They failed you. The cards don't fail us, but the interpreters can sometimes fail us. And that's why it's really important to be able to say, you know, this doesn't resonate with me. This isn't my truth. So let me form my uh, relationships with these cards, these archetypes to really bring home what is truth for me. And so I'll invite you into this, Ashley, and anyone else listening. The emperor is um, ruled by Aries and we know that Aries starts the zodiac. So there's this element of like literally a newborn um, creature, animal, human, like bursting into the world. Birth is so intense. It's so messy and um, profound and babies and animals, like they tear into the world. That's kind of the energy that Aries has. It's this essence of I'm here. I have a right to take up space. I have a right to be seen, to be heard, not in a way that is annoying or whatever, but in a way that newborn babies cries fill the air because it's the cry of life. I have a right to be here. I'm taking up the space. Um, newborns have no problem figuring out how to do that. So it's that sense, that connection to Aries in that way. The emperor is not, um, first of all, it's not a man. Um, the essence that we can, uh, that is like kind of contained within the term emperor um, is really like something way beyond that. It's the invitation to be mountain. It's the invitation to be redwood, to be sequoia, to be the sky, to be the Grand Canyon. It's an invitation to say, don't shrink. You're here for a reason. Take up sacred space. And because we're not used to remembering that, and we can track this, it's because of all of the suppression, all of the, you know, like years of the church coming in and shifting the narrative on um, our connection with nature, our connection with pagan roots, our connection, you know, across the board. I'm just speaking of pagan culture, like every, you know, obviously Africa, like there have been so many places that have been stripped of that essence, that remembering. So um, the way we can remember that is anytime we get emperor, it's an invitation to embody literally a mountain, something that when you look at it, you think, holy shit, that is so big and broad and it's not shrinking for anyone. Like the size of it is incredible to me. And when we get that invitation from emperor, it's a little nudge on our shoulder saying, hey, you too have Aries in you right now. It's that fire that's starting in you. It's like the little seedling breaking out of the seed. It's life continuing, kindling, starting. Um, how can you, this is the emperor speaking, you know, how can you embody this? What way are you being asked to take up space? So that's emperor. Then hero font is um, not to throw cold water on anyone. I try to be as respectful as possible, but it's really foolish I'm not saying anyone is foolish or that you are foolish for thinking this. Not at all. Absolutely not. Um, it's foolish that the Hierophant has been taught as this kind of guru teacher because the tarot is like, it, you can't base it on anyone else. So Hierophant is a word that when we look at the definition of it, um, was a very specific kind of religious channeler, religious figure who was able to decode um, esoteric texts, which if you think about it is pretty dangerous. <laughs> like this one person who's like, I know what this means and you don't. Um, but the way that, you know, again, that's the warping. And unfortunately, a lot of the traditional definitions on the, of the tarot are actually um, 
really influenced by overcultural warping about gender, about like religion, about like all kinds of shit. And it is just now that we're really starting to wake up to this. So it's really important to begin to like question, not the tarot, but again, like who's writing about it. Um, so anyway, Hierophant is someone who is able to distinguish truth from non-truth. And it is about us. And the Hierophant, again, exists beyond gender. It exists like way beyond. And that's a reclamation that we can make. Whenever this card comes up, it's an invitation for us to know that we're being invited to clear some belief that might have been implanted in us like pre-birth, might have been something that we were told about ourselves. Beliefs feel like truth. And because the Hierophant is really connected to beliefs, it asks us to filter through what the belief is, what we're being told, what we're being taught, what is someone saying to us? But more importantly, what do we think about what someone's saying to us? What's our truth? Fuck the yoga teacher. Fuck the spiritual person. Fuck even me talking on this podcast. If this doesn't resonate with you, it ain't your truth. And that doesn't mean I don't know and you don't know. No one has to be wrong. Sometimes people are really wrong for, you know, whatever. I would argue that there's shades of gray there. But if it's a simple experience, not that someone's causing harm or actively preaching or speaking about things that are dangerous and harmful, obviously that's very real. But if someone's speaking on something that we just think, you know what, it's not for me, it does not resonate. I've been further than that person in my life. I know what it is to touch darkness. I know what it is to, or rather, um, you know, horrors. I know what it is to uh, work with the shadow or I know what it is to experience uh, having someone who means a lot to me as an authority figure telling me something, me wanting to believe it and remembering that I'm my own sovereign person. All of that is what we get when we lock into the soul experience, the soul essence of the Hierophant. So I hope that helps. These belong to you before people came in and basically said like, oh, this is a priest with wisdom. Like it's all about the reclamation. And for anyone listening to this, this is how I teach because this is how I operate. I, I, as soon as I started to read tarot as a kid, I read books and thought bullshit. No fucking way. Is this the truth? This does not match my life. This doesn't match me. I don't see myself in this. And that is what led me down the rabbit hole of being able to say, there must be something to this that's deeper, older than these constructs that actually matches every time, that reflects me back to me. That's really important. And by the way, I think when you are really hitting it on the nail with the essence of a card, it's got to match everyone, which is why the tarot has nothing to do with other people, with gender, with wealth. It just can't be that because then it would disinclude a lot of people. So I don't say that, you know, Ashley, you asked the best question. I'm saying this with a lot of passion in my voice because I feel more passionate about this than I do maybe anything. The tarot is yours. You don't have to wait for anyone to tell you. If it doesn't match you, someone failed along the line. And sometimes it's not about getting them to realize they failed. Sometimes it's about us picking up the mantle and being able to say, actually, this is what it can be. So hopefully that helped. Came in hot for that one. <laughs> it was a really good question. Paige asks, I'm wondering how you felt about decks with additional cards that the creators added in. For example, the Fountain from the Fountain Tarot and the Seeker in the third edition of the Pagan Otherworlds Tarot. I think both decks are beautiful, but I'm hesitant to work with them as I don't know how to approach the extra cards. While these cards are beautiful and may serve some people, I feel like the tarot is perfect as is. However, I feel like removing the card from the deck before use would disrespect the creators or ruin the deck's completeness somehow. Maybe these decks aren't right for me, but either way, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, Paige, I love this question. So, um, out of respect, you know, I'm going to offer this as a disclaimer. What I might feel or do might not be what you feel or do, or anyone listening to this. I just always want to name that when I mention something that is personal to me, but because you're asking me, um, I do not work with those extra cards. I love the Pagan Otherworlds Tarot. I love the Fountain. Um, 
I do not find resonance in those cards. I love them and cherish them as being part of the artist's vision. But here's the deal. When we create something, that creation, the creators have no control over how we respond to it. So while we might not, while we should not, like copy, change, alter, you know, um, like take a piece of material and alter it. If it's a tool that we have purchased or been given that is somehow not working for us in the way that we desire, we are 100% empowered to shift that tool, to work with that tool in a different way. Um, And I hear you, you know, you're open but I would say remove those bad boys because I think that you, you know, I just really want to empower you. I think you answered your own question. You know, you really appreciate the tarot's completeness as it is. I don't think it brings any disrespect to the creators at all. If you're going to create something, it's not even personal. If people choose to work with certain cards, like certain cards that you do, it's not personal to them. People are absolutely allowed to have any opinion that they want. And the tarot is yours. It's your baby. It's your um, pet. It's your tool. Like you're familiar and you're able to do really whatever it is that you want with it. So I would say totally empower yourself to rock to later those cards right out of there. I don't work with them. So if that helps you like 100% empower yourself. I don't do anything I don't want to do when it comes to decks, even if it means like not rolling with what a creator wanted or whatever. That's okay. Um, Rachel has a two-parter. They ask, I'm super obsessive when anxious and in a tough stretch now. I'm sorry, Rachel. I read cards, pull cards digitally and physically whenever I can lately. It is interesting and helps to create patience and a story during things I can't figure out. But it feels like I'm feeding the fantasy slash escape slash obsessive tendencies I have. I can't control this, but wondered your perspective. Two, is it unethical to read cards about someone I'm obsessing over? Like, am I breaking into their psychic space illegally? This is a great question, Rachel. A great two-parter. So the first question is, uh, I'm going to speak to the first one first. You might be perpetuating a cycle of fantasy and escape with your tarot deck in anxious moments. Um, But I think that's okay. That's really maybe like um, controversial. Um, But if we're in an anxious trauma spiral, um, sometimes... We have to go to the deck like that to sort it all out. And I think that's okay because um, eventually it won't be like that for you. And because I think there are far worse things for you to do that, that might not support you as much as tarot might. So I would say, like, I don't know if this is like the greatest piece of advice in the world, but I I feel comfortable and really um, confident encouraging you to meet yourself where you're at. Sometimes we go to the deck very manically. Those are my words, not yours. Um, Sometimes we go to the deck with a lot of franticness and sometimes we just pull and pull and pull and pull and pull. Um, I don't think that there's any problem with what you're doing because I think what you're doing comes in waves and seasons and I think it's okay when you wind up in a space like that. Two, um, yeah, it is unethical. Uh, no judgment, no haterade here, but no, it's, it's not what you want to do to read cards about someone else. And I'm going to tell you why. The first reason is that if you're asking about someone, you can't control anyone but yourself. So if you're feeling the pull to ask about someone else, and that pull does come, um, I encourage you to shift your question. And I encourage you to say, um, what am I being invited to understand about this person? How am I being invited to approach this person? How am I being invited to Uh, understand my feelings for this person. You will get a better read that way. 
because it really kind of doesn't matter what that person thinks or, um, you know, whatever. Um, and also obsession, um, is sometimes not totally connected to the deep heart space. Um, and it can feel (coughs) sometimes a little bit, um, it can just, obsession's tricky. Um, so the first thing that I want to say is that I, I encourage you always, anyone listening to this, if you want to read about another person, just read about yourself <laughs> because you'll get better reads anyway. Um, you truly cannot really ever know a person. And yeah, it's unethical. It is. To read about someone without their permission, uh, you're never going to get a good read about it. And if you do find out something, um, it really won't be with permission and it'll wind up being kind of funky in the long term. Um, it's definitely, you may or may not be breaking into their psychic space, but I wouldn't do it. Um, it's actually a very strict, hard and fast rule I have. I never, uh, it's, you know, if something comes through and, you know, it relates to a client or it relates to me, then it can be helpful to allow someone some information to come through. But in general, reading about anyone, um, you don't want to do it. Um, Quinn asks, your voice has, this is also another two-parter, your voice has been healing, illuminating, and comforting to me during months of profoundly painful transformation. Oh, thank you, Quinn. Um, I have two newbie questions that keep surfacing. One, could you talk a little bit about trusting what cards you draw? I wonder about randomness versus magic when pulling a card. Do you feel like the right card will come to you when you're in a line magical state? Or do you feel like whatever card you draw has something to offer you at any time because they're all so rich? A little of both. And two, with numerology of the year, how do you and your mentor explain that the entire magic and wisdom of the year are based on how many years it's been since Christ's death? How is it, how is that Christian-based calendar, um, how is that Christian-based calendar a touchstone for such rich wisdom? No judgment, just curiosity because the wisdom feels powerful and aligned for me. Okay, great questions, Quinn. I'm going to start with the first one. I don't know if you ever get to a point where you completely trust the cards you draw. So I encourage you to just put that on a shelf and put a flower in it (laughs) because um, the brain always will get in there with questions about Oh man, this one fell out of the deck. I wasn't fully meditated, all that bullshit. Um, or we get something so great and we're like, oh, I must have drawn wrong or something where we get attached, whatever. Here's the thing. The tarot is just an invitational mirror. It's not hard and fast. It's really not predictive. And of course, there's so much magic to it. And there's also complete randomness to it. And both are great because again, the present moment is kind of a mix of randomness and magic. We love to assign meaning in this life. And sometimes we're never supposed to know. Sometimes we don't know until later because it's really like a web. If you pull something, I always say one of my, one of my teachings is trust your hands because your hands are never going to lead you astray. They're an extension of the heart. They're an extension of mercury of the magician. Um, trust your hands. If your hands pull a card out, if a card drops, you are meant to see that card because you are pulling it forward. The deck isn't doing anything. The deck is just showing up to our invitation. And this question you asked is great because it can be applied to anything. Is there a God? Are there angels? Is intuition real? Is religion real? Is my, is love real? Like we can truly ask that about anything and maybe it's a good idea too. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, it comes down to choice. And it can be very powerful to be able to say, I am available to allow whatever medicine wants to come through me in this deck to touch me. And I'm going to allow myself to receive that wisdom. But in terms of just like blanket, you pull a card and you totally trust what you pull. I'm not there yet. So I would say after 20 plus years of reading, I don't know if anybody ever gets there. Maybe you do. And, you know, I have seasons where what I pull, I deeply trust. And other seasons where my brain is buck wild and I don't. So I think it's totally okay that you don't trust. All we need to have is willingness to consider. 
Now, the second part of your question, I just also want to say my mentor uh, has nothing to do with anything I'm teaching. Um, my mentor is not a tarot teacher and doesn't really talk about the year like that. Um, unless you know of a way that she talks about the year that I don't, <laughs> but, um, it's just me. Um, so I wanted to start with that. Um, and I totally dig you. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like this calendar, this system of years and numbers were created by a bunch of dudes back in the day. Um, here's why I honor it. Not because I necessarily buy into the Christian calendar timeline, but because an enormous amount of the collective does. Not everyone does, but an enormous amount does. And when there is collective energy, there is usually a threshold, a portal, some kind of gateway to honor. The same thing applies to the Jewish New Year. The same thing applies to any other system of honoring time that we have. It's all spiralic and flexible. And I also believe that everything isn't for everybody. That if someone doesn't identify with one system of time versus another, um, that's really appropriate because some people do not honor in any way, shape, or form like the new year. For some people, this is not 2019. I fully honor that because I am not Jewish and because there are a number of different um, experiences of time that uh, don't speak to me and I have no lineage in, uh, I like to speak about the new year because I think the numerical change is really powerful. Um, and I also think that um, there's wisdom in everything. And it doesn't have to mean that I believe in the Christian calendar, uh, Christian-based calendar, but I think that um, everything is a source of rich wisdom. And I think we can work with what we have. And I will say, um, there is like, say what you will about the Christian-based calendar, and I'm really inclined to agree with you. <laughs> um, there is no fucking doubt that we are in an Empress High Priestess year this year. And that's how we get to that. That really reflects to me. And I believe that if you look at the numerology of the Jewish New Year, that is as true as Empress High Priestess or Empress uh, Hangman. I'm sorry. It's all guiding us home. And I think that um, we can hold both where we look at the origins of something like the Christian-based calendar and go, Mm, not really like, it's like, you know, we can look at that and think like, I don't know if that resonates with me. And yet there can be something in it like the years that could resonate with us or not. And I think that, um, I am the kind of person that is really curious. I'm willing to consider that there's magic in everything, even something that has really major, um, roots in, um, again, something that I don't necessarily subscribe to like years beginning, um, since Christ's death. <laughs> um, cause I think there's something to it cause we're in it cause we're experiencing it collectively. Um, and yeah, that's, I think all I have to say about it. Um, the collective energy around the year is what is so potent to me. Um, because again, we know there are Chinese New Year. There's all different understandings of what year it is, numerically and otherwise. And I think uh, all of it is aligned and appropriate for whoever it resonates for. And I'm just able to kind of hold it all in one hand and consider it all as being all uh, having some medicine to offer at the same time. So I hope that that helps. Oh my God, my third two, I have a third two-parter. Um, I swear as I was choosing this, I didn't uh, realize they were back-to-back. -back. <laughs> uh, Sadie asks, uh, Sadie says, I have a two-parter. Uh, questions. One, what advice do you have for using spirit intuition to help tweeze out insecurity from the genuine not ready? Two, how do you know when you're ready or not ready to read for other people? 
I've been studying the tarot consistently for half a year now. I've been doing daily draws for myself. Uh, side note, I'm so excited for your Tarot for the Wild Soul course. Yay! I've done some informal free readings from my mom and a couple of friends. Those went well, but I have never charged and really never put it out that I'm doing readings for others. I still feel like I don't know enough and I'm not sure what is enough. This quote, not knowing enough, a larger pattern that I'm starting to recognize in myself where I'll get the degree, the certification, the practice, and still have a ton of trouble claiming, quote, I am or I can. I'm getting to a point where I'm ready to step into my power and claim everything I am. Sadie, fuck yes. I'm into this. So you're, you nailed it. There is no such thing as enough. Um, you're ready to read for other people. You're ready to read for other people because if you have the desire to be of service and it is coming from a place that is genuinely longing to serve, to learn, you are ready to read for other people. And if you're ready and willing to do it slowly at your pace, going one step at a time, um, reading for other people I would actually make a very strong case for the fact that you learn more deeply what the tarot is when you're reading for others than you do ever when you're reading for yourself. So whenever you feel ready, and by the way, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, um, there is no such thing as ready, boo. So using intuition to help tweeze out the insecurity from the genuine not ready. If you're not ready, the way that spirit lets us know that is not mentally. Um, if you're not ready for something, it literally will not be there. So here's my advice to you. If you would like to know whether or not it is in alignment with your guides and with you to begin to read for people, put out a feeler call, and ask a bunch of shops around you, put it out online, be like, I'd love to give people, love to start with a sliding scale from like five bucks to 20 bucks um, for a 20 minute reading for a half hour, you know, maybe do five minutes for, for like, I'm not sure how and where you'd like to start. Um, and uh, give it a shot. And if not one person responds to you, it doesn't mean you're not ready, but that is spirit's way of saying, not yet, love soon though. And then it'll come together when it's meant to. Um, spirit doesn't usually say, use languaging like I'm ready or not ready. It usually just kind of shoves it in our face and goes, do it or don't do it. So I would say that, um, I so resonate with what you're talking about. I know so many people do. The biggest piece of advice that I can give you is again, that word willingness, be willing to say, um, feelings, just remind yourself, feelings are not always facts. Just because I don't feel ready doesn't mean I'm not ready. And let me give it a shot to prove to myself, because the only thing that really can quiet that is action. So if you give yourself the opportunity to take action and give it a shot, it'll really inform you as to whether or not you are quote ready or whether or not it's time to give readings to other people. So I hope that helps. Okay. Alberto asks, <clears throat> I just started studying the tarot just this year. So I'm quite new and I'm still learning. I'm not even a baby yet. I do one card reading every morning and look for the meaning of the card only after I've written my own interpretation of it on my journal. The other day while shuffling the cards, I told them I wanted to be in communication with them and that I wanted to be able to understand them. Then I pulled the Ten of Pentacles. I was surprised. For what I understood about the suits, I was expecting for swords or cups, but Ten of Pentacles? I get a very positive energy from the card, and I understand it has to do with wealth and maybe home-like themes. But even after searching for the meaning of the card, I don't know what I should read from it. So I guess what I'm asking for is a bit of guidance on what Ten of Pentacles could mean in this context. Alberto, excellent example, or excellent question, rather. Ten, any ten in the tarot is like a beginning and an end. And pentacles, because at their core, they have to do with um, really living in the material world from a soul-centered place. That's what they really have to do with. Um, that is the soul tarot teaching of them. And what I really believe, if we look at them, they really explore. Um, so the 10 is very powerful and often very kind of subtle. Um, it has to do with creating something, 
bringing something forward. We can consider it kind of like a birthing, um, a channeling, a learning. And another way to look at it is a big harvest, a cultivation of some kind. Um, yet another way to look at it is healing family lineage, healing trauma in the family line. Because whenever we do our soul work, whether that's washing the dishes, taking care of ourselves, like the soul work um, is not based on our traditional idea of like soul work. We're healing people with our hands. Soul work is whatever is you doing your thing. Um, it, whenever we really say yes to our souls and to the truth of ourselves, no matter what that looks like or what that means, we clear the family karma from our lives, from our bodies. We help heal generations backward and forward. So what I would say to you is, um, if you want to be in communication with your cards and it gave you 10 of pentacles, essentially what it told you was that if you do, they want to, they're ready. They're ready to help you end old cycles and begin new ones. They're ready to help bring things into your life to help you grow things that you can cultivate and explore. And it's here to help you probably in some way, shape, or form shed an old family um, bloodline, ancestral belief system, whatever it is, um, pain or belief system, etc., trauma, um, that you're not meant to hold anymore. And in some way, the deck can help you to start listening to yourself so you can begin to bring that out into the world. So really good. Now, a little tip that I would give you. It's annoying. I hate when people give me fucking tips and I don't ask for them. It's a pet peeve of mine. But <laughs> I am going to offer you this and you can take it or leave it. Perfectly fine. Um, watch expecting something of your deck. Be willing to be surprised. It's like a good marriage. You're learning new things every day. Part of the beauty of, uh, even if you're a beginner, part of the beauty of being in connection with a deck is that it teaches you. We don't make the deck do something that we want to do. We get taught. Um, I am still, people say this, I believe them too, but I'm being really serious with y'all right now. I learn new things about the tarot every goddamn day because I pull and I don't infuse, I don't enforce my meaning on the tarot. I go with, I truly go to it with a fresh eye every time I pull. And I'm always learning new things because I'm always changing. I'm constantly doing my work. So as I change, as, I, as things come up in my life, I will learn a new side of a, the diamond of a card. I'll, I'll, the light will flash on something new. So if you can bring an attitude of completely open curiosity to your deck, Alberto, it will completely change your practice with it. Be willing to consider going, oh, wow, damn, that is showing up that way. And I really respect that you know, the sources on tarot definitions are thin. Um, I know that's some major throwdown language, but I think it's true. It's very thin. It's a thin, um, it's thin in terms of meanings that are applicable to everyday life. It's hard to find that um, in the average book and certainly the average website. Um, so I hope that this helps you. I know that it's hard sometimes to find that sense of like, Oh, but what does this mean in context? So hopefully the context helps. Um, Megan asks, um, I was wondering if you can upset the tarot by asking the same question more than once. I will sometimes check in again with spirit on the same question a few days later if I didn't understand the first message that I received. Your tarot deck loves you unconditionally. If you're working with the right one, sometimes they can be um, buttholes, but <laughs> um, tarot has unconditional love in its heart. So does spirit, infinite patience. And while we can get the experience of our guides like really yelling at us and being very firm and clear and sometimes harsh, you can never upset spirit or the tarot. Um, certainly not if it's of highest and best. 
Um, ask a million times. Spirit totally gets it. You can't upset anything like that if you're utilizing it in that way to repeat. Can't be done. So please uh, feel totally comfortable to ask as many times as you need. And if they just stop answering you, then they'll just stop answering you. And it will mean like, go for a walk. And then the answer will be clear, but they're not upset with you. Um, one of the most powerful things we can do on our path is remember that spirit is not our parents. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you, Megan, but it's something that I always have to remind myself of. Like, um, if I get a no from spirit on something I really want to do, I can have this like total combustion response of like, ah, because I was denied a lot as a kid. Um, and I have a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, um, pain around the idea of, you know, I'm being kept from something I, I want to do. Um, and it, it take has taken me a very long time to be like, no one's keeping you from anything. This is just what's in alignment. They're, they're offering you perspective. And also you don't have to do what your guides say, <laughs> not all the time and you will survive it and it will be okay. Um, so sometimes we can like attach stuff with our caretakers or our beliefs about adults or authority or whatever to God or to spirit or to our cards. And it's all really pure and unconditional up there and inside and in the cards. Kim asks, I've just completed your threshold course and I'm also signed up for trauma in the tarot. And this question came to my mind after hearing the most recent Ask Lindsay episode in which the woman wanted to celebrate a threshold that had already passed. It made me realize the nearly that the, that nearly, um, and this is a trigger warning for anyone who um, has experienced trauma or sexual assault. So you can fast forward if you'd like. Um, it made me realize that nearly every threshold of my life has occurred with some trauma or violence. My birth was very difficult, resulting in a near-death experience for my mother. My first period came when I was in the hospital fighting off a violent infection resulting from a ruptured appendix. My first sexual experience was rape. My marriage took place after months of drama involving family that did not want the wedding to happen and did everything they could to stop it. And all of my births have been C-sections, the first labor that lasted 37 hours before my body finally gave out and the doctors decided on surgery. I can't help but wonder, is there something behind this pattern? Is there something I need to be learning or healing? What significance do you see in a pattern of continuous difficulty with thresholds? I'd love to hear your insight on this. Oh, Kim, I love you. I'm really bowing to you and your journey. And I'm so sorry um, for the pain that you've had to move through in this lifetime around this. And I'm honored that you're trusting us as listeners and me um, with this. Um, so what I would say is that um, my initial experience is that um, many of your thresholds involve really huge clearing and, um, really probably huge karmic clearing that might have to do with the witch wound or other lifetimes. Um, it might also be that you have healership in these areas and are meant to help others who have really intense thresholds that then um, can go back and pick the medicine out of these experiences. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Because what I'm really hearing with all of these um, is that there's a tremendous amount of um, clearing that has either come from or resulted in um, something that you've experienced, um, but it also is incredibly painful and very, very difficult. Um, and I would encourage you to dive deeper into what that might be. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, email you this person's information, but I just want to shout them out. Um, my friend Julia Inglis does an offering called Swan Blessing. 
which allows us to go back into um, a journey where we might have made contracts or agreements that we're still carrying in our soul karma. I've done five and they have all been completely, like they've literally changed the direction of my life. And some of them um, have been completely based around things that you're talking about, Kim, where it's just like, this has been happening since I was born. Why? What is happening here? Um, and it's provided for me some context that has helped me change, um, not my relationship to it, like I've loved it or I've swept it away or anything, but it changes the energy around it um, and has allowed me to have my own version of grief honoring or um, ceremony or ritual around some aspect of these things. Um, so I, I cannot... Um, necessarily say that I understand why you're experiencing these things. And that doesn't mean that they're not ununderstandable. Um, but I think what I'm really hearing is that there's some really powerful questions here. And, um, when it comes to things like that, that tend to cycle and, and, um, continue and show themselves in different ways. Um, I like to point people toward Julia's work because I think that, um, I see very few people and Julia is someone that I see very, um, when I need her, but, um, in moments that are major crossroads for me. And I think that she could probably really help you. Um, I also share again, um, I've had extreme, uh, pain and tragedy actually <laughs> with thresholds, especially my birthdays. They've just been like, whew. um, my birth also, I almost died after I was born. Um, I know that's different with your mom, but, um, for me, it's allowed me to go back and give myself the opportunity with some of my thresholds to celebrate and honor that I survived them be able to say, you know, wow, you know, I didn't get, um, I didn't get the candle and rose version of this threshold, but I, what I did get, I survived it. Um, and I would also say, if you haven't done this already, Kim, that, um, there's a way to, um, you know, Cheryl Strayed has this wonderful piece in tiny, beautiful things where she talks to a woman who's lost a child. Um, to miscarriage and she's still the the person who writes in to Cheryl Strayed um, with her question um, basically says like everyone around her expects her to be over it and she's still completely in the world of grieving this this child this daughter that she lost and um, Cheryl Strayed said something that I think is really important here for you which is that she said um you, everyone else around you is living on planet earth and you are living on planet. My baby died and you need to be with people right now who also live on that planet. And so what I will kind of sum this up and say to you around that is, um, for every single one of the thresholds you mentioned, there is a planet and a community who can see you in that threshold. And I think that that's really fucking important birth trauma, whether we are being born or giving birth is real, is really real. You getting your um, first period like you did is also something that if you resonate with this kind of thing, some people absolutely do not. I would recommend you looking up red tent gatherings in your area and picking a provider, a leader of the red tent gathering that really resonates with you, feels safe with you. Um, red tent is basically giving um, people who bleed the opportunity to celebrate, process, talk about their first moon in a way that they were not given as girls or not given as young ones when they got their moon. Um, and there are some people who do red tent gatherings that specifically work with people who do not identify as women or female. And there are some people who do a very goddess style, like highly kind of like, um, that like high, feminine understanding of, you know, whatever you want to call that. There's someone for everyone. So I would say too, like, um, one, 
I would recommend Julia if you'd like to go into deeper curiosity about the why of this um, and what might be here for you, um, not to fix it or because anything is wrong or because you have some weird curse upon you that this keeps happening, but just to get curious about it um, and to begin to break anything that no longer serves you and to, um, to find the right folks to hold you in your specific threshold. Cause I think that is damn important, really important. Not everybody shares the same thresholds you do. So I think it's really important to find those people so that you can really be seen, um, in whatever way you want to be. Um, and you didn't ask me for that, but I wonder if that might be helpful because I'm not sure why it keeps coming up. Um, I would also invite you to look at whether there's been any thresholds that have been like totally beautiful and, and, um, exactly as you hoped them to be and what the difference might be for you, um, in the ones that have gone in a way that feel really, uh, intense and traumatic versus, um, ones that have felt really, uh, beautiful. And I don't necessarily think that thresholds are always pretty. I think they're very intense actually. Um, and ritualizing them though, I think is the way we come back to our center. That was a long ass answer and I apologize, but, um, I hope that helped at all. Um, Anna asks, I recently got a deck that I love, but I've been struggling with it because the deck booklet interpretations feel so much harsher than I would personally read the cards. For example, a lot of the reversals are taken to be the shadow underside negative interpretation of that card. I feel like I should give the author some credence because they created the deck and have a close connection with it, but also don't necessarily feel their messages. How can I reconcile my interpretations with their writing? Should I even be trying to? Anna, this is an amazing question. If it doesn't resonate, it's not your truth and it's okay to toss it right out. Again, tarot, tarot is always like, it's kind of like how Tori Amos talks about her songs. They already exist. She's just bringing them down into the piano. Wild Unknown, Fountain, like I bow to all those creators, but that deck existed. They brought that deck down into earthly form. And that's true with anyone who makes a deck, period. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the author of the deck, their knowledge is negligible. And more importantly, it might not resonate with you. And the deck could very well be expanding out of a space that has nothing to do with what the authors wrote. Really, the minute a creator makes a deck, it's out of their hands and we're able to do anything we like with it. Rule number one is that there are no rules and nobody knows better than you. The very best teachers and guides for tarot can help us to dissolve our fears, experiences, and limiting beliefs about um, what the tarot might be, et cetera, but they're not necessarily going to nail it for us. And yeah, you know, with all due respect, I don't know what deck you're talking about, but, um, anybody who writes about reversals as kind of like negative, um, like doomsday, whatever, um, I take issue with how much that person has really explored. I'm not saying that they haven't, but I'm also not saying that reversals can't be a reflection of the underside of something. Um, but we know how it feels in the nervous system. If it's really of truth, of spirit, the nervous system will hear it. The soul knows when something's true. So if it's not true for you, that's okay. You don't need to uh, respect. You can thank the creators and the authors for bringing this medicine down. You can also be like, I don't want it in my salad. Thanks for making it, but it's not for me. And that's totally okay. You're completely empowered to do that. Um, yay. This has been another Ask Lindsay. Uh, I'm really excited to bring, um, to connect with everyone's questions next month. Um, we will have an interview episode next week. I hope everyone enjoys their time, their week. I'm so excited to get to reconnect with all of you. Um, 
soon. And until then, be well. And if you love this podcast and appreciate the work that's being done here, um, please consider subscribing to it. Please consider giving us five stars on iTunes. It actually really helps us to chart higher so then other people find the podcast. So it's a really nice non-monetary way of just saying thank you. Um, Thank you so much again. 